I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann and here's a little bonus episode that we've put together just for you. It's one of our favourite sessions from the Edinburgh TV Festival featuring the writer Sally Wainwright in conversation with Russell T Davies. Uh, both writers worked on Coronation Street but then of course moved on to write their own dramas. Sally most recently penning BBC One's Happy Valley and Last Tango in Halifax and Russell creating Queer as Folk for Channel 4 and, of course, reviving Doctor Who in the early noughties. Thanks to the Edinburgh International Television Festival for sharing this recording with us and to our sponsor, the Media Masters Podcast. You'll find out who's on their show this week later in the programme. But first, a real treat. This is Sally Wainwright talking to Russell T Davies. Now, Sally and I went out to discuss this evening and what would be discussed. How did that end, Sally? Um... (laughs) Pissed. Pissed. What's she saying? She was sick in her bed. It was <laughs> Come on, it's all going to come out tonight. Yeah. So listen, hello. We've known each other for about 25 years, I think. Yeah. So, um, but there's all sorts of things I never asked you. It's like, so little Sally Wainwright walking around. What was she like? You, did you have like a head full of stories? Because I know you used to um, write stuff out that people said. But... I think I started right. I think I started becoming aware that I wanted to tell stories when I was about seven. Me and my sister used to do strip cartoons. But I always wanted to be an artist. I always wanted to draw. Yeah. And as you did. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You were a great artist. Well, I've it? been to your house and you've, like, you've got painting on the furniture, haven't you? You've got, you used to have. Used to have. <laughs> <laughs> Is it gone now? Yeah. <laughs> um, so it started with me wanting uh, drawing strip cartoons. So it was always a combination of visuals and What kind of strip cartoons? Stories. What was that then? Um, uh, oh, God, I can't even remember. It was It'd about... It was a fortune. We had these little characters called John and Tim, me and my sister, and they were our teddy bears. It's very sad. Sorry. It's your juvenilia. <laughs> it is my juvenilia. <laughs> we'll come to the Bronte's later. But, um, to, but, but then we started writing plays together, me yeah. and my sister. How old? Um, probably nine, ten. Right. And then we used to read them together at night. We used to write plays. And then we'd read each other's plays, but we'd read them out loud. Was it like all consuming? Was it like in your head? It was for me. I think Diane did it to humour me, and I think she thought it was very boring. <laughs> but I used to love it. I, I just found it really. I, I, I always loved dialogue. More than uh, I didn't used to read. I've never been a great. Well, I, I, I read novels now, but as a child, I didn't read novels. Yeah. I think I was dyslexic. I just couldn't get past the first page. I also thought they were really boring, and it was only the dialogue that excited me. Not just interested me, it really excited me. I loved controlling what people said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's and so. When did, when did the first script come out of you? What was the um, first? 
Was it play? It was play. Well, it was these players, me and Danny Strike. They were properly scripted. Brilliant. So then you, you, you became, I know you, you were a student and you were writing and directing plays. So you were directing then. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I will come back to that yeah. as well. It's like, I know that a big influence in your career came along in 19, 1977. Mm. Everyone thought I, Claudius, was going to win the best drama at the BAFTAs and it was actually won by Rock Follies, which was a magnificent victory for one of the best programmes ever yeah. made. And I know you love that as well. Yeah. It's like, and actually, I know we're going to, I kind of want to go through your life slightly chronologically, but I want to stop off every so often and say, because mm. I think about Rock Follies, I think of how much music you've always put in your stuff, right. like Virginia singing yeah. in the Breakthroughs. Where's your musical, Sally Wainwright? Where is it? Where is it? It's, it's on the way. Is it? <laughs> Was it really? Yeah. Oh, because you'd be brilliant. Are you yeah. really? For stage or for screen? Or? It's an idea I've got for screen. Oh, fantastic. That I'm hoping to We didn't know. set that up. I didn't know that. Yeah. I tell you what, because I listened to your Desert Island Discs and I've got to be honest, I thought it'd be all Bruckner. <laughs> and it's like, it's hell of a laugh. It's like all your, the music you've chosen is like this great big romp through the English countryside with Victoria Woods and a brass band and the St. Trinian Square. And that, you literally sit there thinking, write a musical, Sally. I, I'd like to, I think it's really hard to get it right. Yes. I think it's so easy to get it wrong. For every one that's successful, like Rock Follies, how many more have there been? There has never been another or anything resembling well, I'm not sure anyone Follies. tried. I think it kind of... Because I think people are too scared to commission yeah. it. <laughs> well, Maybe. no, I do. I don't know. And, it's, and I also or, or think... Oh, people just don't pitch them because... It, it is really hard. It's like talking about dramatising stand-up comedians. Yeah. You, to dramatise a stand-up comedian, which is something I'd love to do, you have to make them very, very funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can do all the drama, yeah. but then the audience has to believe that this person is genuinely funny. And as with a musical, you have to believe that this is proper good music, mm. and it's so hard to get well, that You are musical, aren't you? You, you can play... Oh. I, no, I'm right. so bad, badly musical. You can play a piano a bit, can't you? Really badly, yeah. Well, most of us can. That's not bad. <laughs> so, partly musical. We've got that there. Buy shares in that, because that'll just... Like, I wouldn't be, be writing the music. Wouldn't you? I bet you could. I probably could, but... <laughs> we are. I knew it. So listen, it's like you were, you were a student, you were writing. I th things started to flourish when you got to Granada, really. How did you get oh. into Granada? This was a golden time, I think, it was Granada, wonderful. wasn't it? Um, I got in, I'd been writing The Archers. Yes. And I had uh, my agent then, Meg Davis, got me in to write a shadow script on families. Right. I think. Yes, because Kay says and she read one of your scripts, because one of the great influences right. yeah. and mentors in your career is yeah. Kay Mello. I actually asked Kay about this. She sent me a quote. She said, um, she charged me money. But, <laughs> she actually says, today, she says, I can sit and watch Sally's work. I'm not even aware it started life as a script, she said, which is such a great compromise thing. She also says, I dine out, I dine out on telling people I found Sally Wayne. <laughs> She'd be asking for money next. But um, what I love about no, go on. Uh, well, Granada then at the time when um, this this was a dr uh, afternoon soap that Kay invented called Families, and it was brilliant because did you you worked on that? Yeah, a storyline. And what was so wonderful was we sat around the edges. Was uh, not sorry, I wasn't a storyline, but I was a right. wannabe, mm -hmm. and we watched the the real team having a story conference. Yeah. And it was such a privileged thing to see and witness and to learn from. And yeah. I learned so much just listening to people like Peter Wally. Yes, I love Peter, yes. And I mean, he was the greatest, but there were a lot mm. of people like him. And just to be able to listen to how they developed an idea. Yeah. And how they would riff on an idea and 
knock it around the room. I, I remember when we were doing Revelations and someone at Carlton, as was then, said, uh, I don't think this character is very sympathetic. And Peter Wally said, I don't think sympathetic's high on the list of interesting qualifications. <laughs> he's right, isn't he? He's absolutely right. And it was because in fact, in your time at Granada, it's funny because there will be people out there, there will be students out there and professors writing PhDs about the writing of Sally Wainwright quite seriously. And there are like a hundred episodes of yours stored on the shelves of Granada that no one ever sees because obviously you worked on Coronation Street. But we all, I was there, that's where we first met. I was oh. a storyliner. And we made Revelations, we made Spring Hill, we made Castles. You worked on Castles. Does was, anyone remember Castles? We wrote things that never got made, like Mario's. 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 We wrote a Coronation Street <laughs> spin-off called Mario's that never got made. I don't think you knew it was a Coronation Street spin-off. We didn't tell anyone. No, I didn't know. No, it was meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, tell the world about our best sitcom. Tell the world about our career in sitcom. Uh, this was another Grenada venture that we, me and Russell were... It was a... Oh, God. It was a sitcom called House of Windsor, and... Anyone remember House really, of Windsor? Hopefully nobody has ever heard of that, ever. Um, it was a nightmare. It was, but we were, asked to, we were kind of asked to rescue it, weren't we? And we didn't. The person, <laughs> I don't want to get litigious here, the person who wrote it never turned up. Yeah. And it was a sitcom being made in a weekly fashion, like Drop the Dead Donkey. It would be rehearsed all week, recorded on a Friday night, transmitted on a Sunday, so we then had to go into the rehearsal room on a Monday morning with the bad reviews, saying what rubbish it was. And it was rubbish. It was. <laughs> I remember Leslie Thomas was in it. Leslie Phillips. Leslie Phillips. Leslie Thomas wrote The Virgin Soldiers. Oh, right. He would have written a good script. Yeah, no, for it wasn't him. It was <laughs> Leslie Phillips. And he was reading this, my, one of my, my script, and he said to me, I don't understand what's going on in this script, Sally, do you? <laughs> And I said, yes, I wrote it. <laughs> but it didn't. I had Leslie, well, I love Leslie Phillips. I had yeah. Leslie Phillips, actually. I didn't blame him I've for not reading no. it properly. It's the only time <laughs> I laugh I've ever seen an actor hold one of my scripts, look at me, and go like this, throw it away. <laughs> and he sat there thinking, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I wrote an episode that went out under a false name. I wrote an episode as Leo Vaughan, which is like a porn star. Isn't it? Leo Vaughan. And oh, he, I'd thought to do You know that. those those Alks forms, they always try to find the payments to pay Leo Vaughan. I've never confessed. <laughs> it's blood money. It was a great cast though, wasn't it? It was brilliant. I can't remember who else was it. But did you love because what I loved about that time was it's funny because you say you, you're, you're so modest and I think you can't see it from our point of view, you, you, you'd accept any job going. You're young, you'd go, will you work on castles? Well, you wanted to. You wanted to show that you could do it. You wanted to show that you could do anything they threw at you. From our point of view, the storyline, a production point of view, we were lucky to have you. We'd be like, oh, Sally says yes. <laughs> it, was. it was. You were like the one who's mine. In fact, and we also, of course, worked on Children's Ward. And there were happy days where, I mean, I, you know, if you ask Paul Abbott, would you advise young writers to go and do a soap opera these days, depending on what mood he's in, he'd say no. If you ask me, I'd say yes, because mm. where were you on that? Would you tell Definitely me? Definitely I would. Would you? Yeah. Well, for this, the reason uh, I've just said, really, where you, you are learning so much about how to tell stories. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the hardest thing yeah. that we do. Well, I. I don't know about you, but for me, story is the hardest single thing about what we do. It's the thing I've really got to work hard at. Yeah. And it was working on the soap that made me realise that you've got to work at it. Yeah. You've really got to throw yourself into it and sit there until things start to... It's not going to just happen without you actually actively... Yeah. It made me realise there's no end to them. That's, that's what I yeah. took away from soap operas, which is that you do a great story about mm. Fred... 
and then that comes to an end, and now you've got to think of another one. Mm. And you can. It's, it's like a muscle getting exercise, isn't it? The, the, mm. Actually, there are more stories to come. So I loved it. It's like I remember writing in Children's World, writing a jilting at the altar, Sister Mitchell, Judy Holt, at the altar. Mm. I think it's one of the most powerful things I've ever written yeah. because it's horrific what she mm. went through with that. So I loved it. I'm, mm. gl I'm glad you look back happily on that. And it's like someone should dig those things out of the shelves. So then, what we're moving on to then now is that your first... You were quite, hold on a minute, you were quiet mm. then. Mm. Were you, you we, we'd sit through meetings, with, you'd have storyline uh, commissioning conferences and Sally wouldn't say a word. And if you did, we were terrified. We'd all go, oh, oh my God. <laughs> if you sat there and went, I don't agree with this bit. The entire storyline team would go, oh my God, we got it wrong. Like that. So you probably never knew how powerful you were in your silence. You were. No, I wasn't powerful at all. You were to us. You didn't know that. I was just terrified. Yeah. Were you? But like, yeah. I, no, I was. I, did, I, um, I was terrified. I, couldn't, I know it was weird that I didn't speak, and I'm ashamed of it. No, well, that's but, funny um, because it had enormous power. And then, power. of course, the, the more it goes on, the more you can't speak because when you do, it's yeah, like, oh, yeah. fucking hell, that's weird. She's spoken. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I was thinking it's different because there was Coronation Street. And Coronation Street was particularly hard for that because yes. it was this room full of people who'd been there a long, long time who really knew what they were doing who'd made that show into the legend that it was. Yeah. And they were just so clever, and I just thought, I can't... They were also, they were powerful men. They were. I mean, they were brilliant yeah. writers. How was that, as a woman, going into... Well, it was a very masculine world, although mm. very often with female producers. Um, was it mm. tough? I, yeah, I mean, I found it very overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and they could be quite cruel as well yeah, in yeah, the... Yeah. Whenever it was, early 90s. It was. I mean, it, it was still a kind of culture where at lunchtime, everybody would just drink a lot. Yeah. And then the afternoon would be like Armageddon. Yeah. Um, you know, it would be a bloodbath. So yeah. are you gonna, I was going to, I kept my head under the parapet. It was, I was just scared. I wasn't powerful. Really? Yeah, they were, they, it was a scare. I only dipped in, I storyline a few blocks. And I was terrified of those people, absolutely terrified. They were enormously powerful. And they were just unwieldy meetings. They were like 20 people around a table. Yeah. So unless you have got something very definite and very clear to say it, I would find that right. very difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also... I wouldn't now. The, but no, no, but they were also, they were also enormously wise. I went to just a few of those story-learning sessions, and I can remember things to this day. I'm writing the script, and yeah. I think, oh, remember what John Stevenson said about characters and, mm. and, and things like that. See, it was a great learning place. Mm. So how did you... And they were, I mean, they'd been, some of those writers had been there 30 years, so they really yes. knew what they were talking about. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Why, why bother speaking? Just sit there and learn. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and and I, think, I think you did well. <laughs> You picked up some good stuff. So listen, you're on a soap opera then. Mm. And like, if you're a soap opera writer, the holy grail is to get your own show. How did you go from being on a Coronation Street team um, to getting your own show? I, I, I think I was lucky. Um, luck and hard work, which is the usual thing. I mean, I'd been yeah. writing The Braithwaite for about 15 years before it got commissioned. I mean, it was a story. 15 years? Yeah, I mean, it was a story I'd had in my head what? for... About 15 years before... Oh, were they Pools winners originally? Before, that's before the lottery? No, originally <laughs> she... Um, it wasn't to do with money originally, it was to no. do with the family. A uh, story about a family and it became... Wow. What it became further on. At one point she was going to get 38 million from British Telecom had accidentally credited her account with 38 million pounds. <laughs> and she tried to ring them up to tell them they'd made a mistake, but of course she couldn't get through to anyone. <laughs> 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 So she didn't bother. That's but, a commission, by the way. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'd, it's something I'd, I'd been working on this 
dysfunctional. I, I didn't realise they were dysfunctional. It was just about my family, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this dysfunctional. I think I left my phone on. Excuse me. <laughs> I'm just turning it off. Yeah, it's turning it off. Um, Get me out of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> carry on. Um, uh, yeah, I've been working on it for quite a long time before but it actually how, got. Who did you take it to? What got it made? Um, well, I think Tony Wood originally commissioned it as a half-hour sitcom. Did yeah, and wow. he said, write the third episode, write the first one, write the third episode. Uh-huh. And, and that was a brilliant piece of advice, because it, it became the first episode, but it hit the ground running. And then I think Caroline Reynolds took it over, and she decided she wanted it as an hour-long drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we went to Nick Elliott at ITV, who didn't like it. Oh, right. I think David Liddiman leaned on him and told him I to commission it, yeah, yeah, and yeah. he did. We're talking about all these people who are champions for both of us, David Lidderman, yeah. Caroline Reynolds, Tony Wood, all these people become lists of your career, thank God for them all. But, you know, like so many shows, uh, like Last Tango, like Scott and Bailey, very nearly didn't ever get made. Yes. So, Nicola, Nicola Schindler said that four mm. people turned down Last Tango, got turned down four times. Mm. We That's... thought it had finished, we thought it had gone. Wow. And then Danny Cohen came to BBC One and the wow. World of BBC and... Brilliant, it's brilliant. it overnight. And then, because that was like... That was a big success, The Breakers. I loved it. And, and, and was what was that? What was success like? The thing we're never allowed to talk about, being successful. <laughs> it's not. It's like, because we're British, we're not supposed to even acknowledge it. How, how was it? Um, I, 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 I thought it was normal. <laughs> yeah. So when I had, the next show I did was Sparkhouse and it like died a death. I was oh, like right. really shocked. <laughs> it was I still good it was... though. It was a great show. Yeah. I thought it was great, yeah, but <clears throat> it did, the breath, I was looking at the breathworks that it did do so well, but I just thought that was what happened. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. round about this time, round about when you kind of like... Naively. <laughs> when you're round about this age, it's like, you married Austin, you start, you've got two kids. It's like, did you start... And this is, this is a very vague question, but it's like, did you... Do you st- I speak as a childless man. Do you start to see television through your children's eyes and how they watch it? Does that affect you? Yes. Has that affected you? Massively. Does I mean, it- it's, I, I don't know if you've become aware of this, but I, the older I get, you, you, your agenda alters. And yeah. I've found that my protagonists tend to be the same age as me. And they, yeah. they get older as I do, so I'm writing... Mm. Like what I'm writing now, it's yeah, yeah, about 50-odd-year-old yeah. women. Yeah. Whereas when I was writing The Braithwaite, I was writing basically about... Um, I, I was more um, in tune with like Virginia than I was with Alison because yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought Alison was old because she was 40. <laughs> um, it's when Kay Mellor, when we worked on children's work, Kay Mellor used to say that. She used to, when I, was, I used to produce it, she used to write it, and she used to say, beware, because you will always cast parents as your own age. And as you get older, mm. and you've got to remember that people are having kids at 18. <laughs> and to, 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 seriously, yeah. don't cast them too old. And, yeah. Words of wisdom from that woman, always. Yeah. Um, but the thing that affects me most, watching something like that that we've just watched from the birth, it makes me cringe because oh. I think having children, you, I, I don't know. It, I worry about how much, you know, bad language I use. I do use a lot do of you? bad language. Do you really? And I think I didn't used to care and now I do notice it. Oh, do you? But I still do it anyway. I know, it's like, I think you use it really carefully and, and sparingly. I think having children as well has made me a bit more responsible. I think I write about more grown-up things now than I used to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Braithwaite's was just a laugh. Oh, it was more than just a laugh. Um, it, was, it was much more rich than that. It was, that was a proper family. I loved them. Would you, would you ever bring them back? Bring them back? Yeah. Um, I wonder. Yeah, OK. Yeah, well, there we go. <laughs> the sound of Kevin Ligo breaking the speed barrier there. <laughs> <laughs> My 
Yeah, sign this. I think it might be quite interesting, but it's one of those where it's probably a mistake. Or just start it again. Tempting. Maybe you should do like, like Kay does with the syndicate and in the club, just a new family. Because maybe they were so complicated by the end of the breakthrough. So. That was also the first time, because you weren't writing, by the did it end on series four, you weren't writing them all. I wrote the first two episodes of series four. Right. And, and then, then I... Because oh, you've done that twice, you've done that on the Braithwaite, you've done that on Scott and Bailey. What's yeah. that like working in a team, working with other people? Are you um, happy with that? No, I found it really no. hard. The only time it really, really worked was with Amelia Bulmore on Scott and Bailey. Her episodes were just sublime. Yeah, they were yeah, like yeah. brilliant. And I never. And she ended up you know, taking over you, the show, didn't she? Yeah. yeah. yeah and, you know, as you know, when you have other people writing on your shows, it just, it just doesn't work. Or it's really hard work, or it's difficult, or it's. it's hard. It? You know, if you have to rewrite your script, the scripts, it's unpleasant. Yes. For them and for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and the amazing thing about Amelia was I, I just didn't touch them. Gold dust. I didn't have to, and yeah, didn't yeah, want yeah. to, and they were wonderful, absolutely brilliant. wonderful. Array for the so papers. it's very rare, but not, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you do that again, or is it something you'd avoid now? It's... Working with other people? Yeah. I'm not asking you to. I love your um. scripts. There you are. <laughs> <laughs> I would with Amelia. Would you? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, but yes, it's, it's, it's risky, because you, you know, we, we know how much every writer puts into something. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. then if you was to come along and say, actually, I'm going to rewrite 90% of it. Mm, it it's, is. It's, I think you find that with a lot of... It's not good for anyone, is it? You find it with a lot of young, new writers. It's, it's what John Cleese said about when he was at the height of his pomp, of his powers with Faulty Towers. And he's speaking about other comedy writers. He said, they do not know what hard work it is. And it is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's, it's properly mm. everything. It's, mm. it's the hours are just beyond description. Mm. Anyway, post Braithwaite, I think you had a really, really fascinating period then where there were kind of like a few dramas in a row. There was Mrs. Pritchard, the amazing Mrs. Yeah. Pritchard, you saw a clip of, uh, Jane Hall and Bonkers. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, if I loved all those three. I loved them. <laughs> and it was, and it did. I thought Bonkers was truly Bonkers. I loved it. But it was kind of like, it was like, it was like, we. I would say you were kind of questing for your next big idea. Like, did it feel like that? Did it feel like you were reaching for...? I think with Bonkers, I was trying to make another Braithwaite. I think I wanted to try and yes. capture a similar audience and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, create something with a similar feel to it. Yeah. And it just didn't work. It really didn't work. People just didn't get what was going it on. It did work, but it, it was... It had, it had a tiny audience. It got really slagged off did by it? the critics. Did it? Um, yeah, but yeah. it worked, I think. I think it was, it was, I remember it was a, This was like... I was this, more obsessed about Mrs Pritchard because that didn't get good reviews and it got, got a slightly better audience, but I was really proud of that. Mm. I, I couldn't have worked harder than I did Is on that. Is that hard when things aren't working? I found it hard with that because I, I, I worked so hard on that show. I think probably harder than anything I've ever worked on. Just because oh, really? there's so much research involved. Yeah. Huge amount of research. And I was so proud of Mrs. Jane Mrs. Pritchard, for people who might not have seen it, it might be a bit, it was about a woman who becomes the Prime Minister. Mm. Uh, it was Borgen before Borgen. And uh, I, I much prefer Mrs. Pritchard was better than Borgen by a million miles, I think. And um, it's funny, because then round about this time when Bonkers came out, you hit a very difficult patch in your life and in your career, which is, is that Bonkers, I don't I'm careful not to go into too much detail, but Bonkers, you were accused of plagiarism. Yes. Uh, properly, legally faced with with a claim of plagiarism. I won't even give that oxygen, because clearly you're short of ideas. And um, I did see you backstage going for my bag. And if you go around this festival pitching a cartoon about a gay duck, that's fucking fine. Okay? (laughs) Dandy the duck.
More from Sally and Russell in just a moment, but let's hear a little clip first of this week's Media Masters with Paul Blanchard. This is the broadcaster and interviewer Matthew Stadlin. Uh, You may remember he used to do those brilliant five minutes with interviews on the BBC News channel. Here's Matthew. And I had a conversation once with one of the commissioning editors of the Telegraph. She said, look, I want to know, I I want more of Matt in there. I I want to know, what does Matt Stadlin think about that person? And I found that quite challenging. And I sometimes found it challenging because if you have had a very intimate conversation with someone for an hour, an hour and a half, perhaps even longer, and you broadly speaking get on with them, and anyway they're a human being, then to step out of that room when you've had a very enjoyable experience and be directly critical of them or impose a negative view on them, I found quite tricky. That was Matthew Stadlin there, and you can hear all of Paul's brilliant Media Masters interviews for free at mediamasters.fm. Or you can subscribe to the Media Focus podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Because literally, if you list your credit, the next drama coming along is Unforgiven. Yeah. Which even in that 10-second clip there, when Suran Jones stands on that wall and says, I used to live there. What a powerful drama. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that did literally come out of what I went through then because it did make me think, what is it like to be on the wrong side of the law? Yeah. Which, weirdly, I found myself on the wrong side of the law. And I had no idea that somebody could, can sue anybody for anything. Yeah. Absolutely anything. And if you find yourself having to defend yourself, you have to defend yourself. You can't just think, well, I don't care, I'm not going to You kind of have to prove your innocence, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, Which is ridiculous. Um, And of course it never went to court because (laughs) it was completely groundless. But but weirdly... Um, But it did have... It it, led to that. It it put me... And as as I say, I think my work has got darker since then. I think prior to that happening to me, it was... I I felt I was chiefly a comedy writer. Not not a sitcom writer, but somebody who wrote comedy. And I think that's weird, isn't it? Because I'm kind of glad after it happened. that. Bro- I am now. I'm, it's, I've know. made a lot of money out of it. Thanks, <laughs> Trisha. Because um, also, I think probably sue me now for that. <laughs> probably wants half. Um, more. To me, half. when you look at Unforgiven, 
Yeah. It's the, not the first time, because it was started in Spark House, but it's the first time you went from like a big cast, like a gang show, to focusing on one person, because that was really Suran Jones's story. Mm. And was that deliberate? Was that, was that you saying, I'm going to write differently now? I'm going to... No, I mean, I don't think it was about one person. It was always about... Um, uh, the, the structure of Unforgiven, I thought, was what was exciting, was that it was about three different groups of people. Right. Oh, four, I can't remember. But it was, yeah, it was about four separate groups of people. Parents. And it was about how they all came together at the end, of, how you realised by the end of episode one that they weren't four separate groups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were all very um, interconnected. And Ruth was just sort of at the centre of all that. But coming out, so coming out of the, the, the bonkers nonsense, mm. did, that, did it feel good writing it? Did it feel, were you, you felt yourself going somewhere new? Um, yes. I mean, it, I, I don't think I, I don't think I'd, I did consciously make that connection because I did yeah. think about what is it like to be on the wrong side of the law. Brilliant. Um, but I don't, I don't know. Because it's like, I'm going to go off on a diversion now, which is that one of the things I, for start that you should be writing a musical. Here's your next thing. Because it's, <laughs> it's what I loved, in Unforgiven, I love Siobhan Finner and thought there was a ghost. Nicholas Schindler's mentioned to me that this last tango in Halifax coming up at Christmas has kind of... I'm fascinated by you and the supernatural because mm. I think it's knocking at the edges of your work. I know you wrote The Last Witch and... Because and I, I think you're, a fab, you, you're fabulously focused on the real world. Everything has to be real with you. Every line mm. of dialogue has to be real with you. Mm. You've said that a million times and it's there in your writing. And in this sense, I think you're like Dickens. And I mean that as in the highest compliment. I really think you're like Dickens. Uh, we've got these brilliant, huge, vivid characters, these big epic stories, these intimate stories. Mm. And like Dickens, you've got the supernatural clawing at the window. But I remember, I got that from you, that idea that you can uh, put this oh. tiny little bits of otherworldliness in. It was on a, um, that series of um, Children's World. Oh, and it was about the boy the... who got the transplant. He got a heart transplant. And mm. the boy Stephen was... Arnold. Stephen Arnold was then on coronation. Um, yeah. The boy was who died, whose heart he got appeared at the end of his bed and had a conversation with him. We did, we did. And I remember talking about that and me saying, you can't do that because this is a serious, straightforward drama and yeah. you said, no, it's great. Oh, my God, yeah. I was and, a kidney transplant. And that's always stayed with me. I, mean, I never knew that. think, yes, you can put these strange little bits of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just because... You know... Because Just that oh, notion that there's more between heaven and earth. Than yes, because it's such a contrast not. with your absolute realism. And the thing is, when Dickens did, because Dickens would write about the dispossessed and the poor, he was the only person writing about the poor and, and, and the wretched. And when he then wrote a ghost story, he wrote a ghost story that was so good, it is replacing the Bible as the Christmas story. It's like literally, <laughs> Christmas Carol is becoming... Christmas Carol started time travel and parallel worlds and the ability to change your future. It's one of the most powerful things I've ever written. Where's your ghost story? Um, Come on. I want to write a ghost story. I'd love to do I know a really do. proper ghost story. Really? I knew I write, yes. But I'm, I don't know what it is yet. Because Caroline <gasps> is a whole... just had an idea. But Caroline <laughs> is... <laughs> My idea! I'm paying 10%. <laughs> right now. If it's a musical and a ghost, you can do the amazing, the amazing Mr. Blunden, aren't you? It's... <laughs> Let's face it. <laughs> but, it's, and, you know, Caroline's haunted by the past in, in, in Last Tango. Catherine's haunted by a dead door. It's literally steeped in your work, the mm, ghosts mm. at the edge. Go on. Ka Caroline, Catherine, which one? One of them. Catherine. Catherine, Caroline, one of those. Yeah. Sarah um, Lancashire. Uh, that's not haunting. That's panic no. attacks. No, but it's, it's, it's testing the picture. It's yeah. testing her mind. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it, I know it's not it's mm. real, but it's like, I'd love to see you head that way. I'd like, go on. And also, <laughs> now we're hitting, I think, one of the great 
Um, I hope they're all here. I hope Charlotte Moore people are here like this because one of the great unmade pieces of television, because we're kind of hitting like around about 2009 and stuff like that, you were lined up to take over Robin Hood. That's right, yeah. And you also, didn't you also want to do a Saturday Night series about a highway woman? Yes. You the Ballad see? of Black Nell. What's it called? The Ballad of Black Nell. The Ballad of Black Nell? Mm. Unmade television. Yeah. How mad is television? How much do we want to see these series? <laughs> it's because especially with, the, with those Saturday Night Fantasy shows, they're still yeah. rolling out now, and they're still all about men. Yep. All of them, every yeah. single one. And you, would you have done a female Robin Hood? Is that right? That was the idea, yeah, that uh, Robin Hood was going to become a kind of... Um, token bloke who wasn't oh, very right. bright uh, and the power behind him was this um i think she was called ruth so they're all based on real characters from right. like uh brilliant uh, you wrote scripts first didn't you? i wrote about four episodes and me and sean ellery jones from bbc wills wrote oh, yeah. two series of 13 episodes storylines storylines yeah Commission? Where are they? Where are you all? <laughs> Don't you want to see that? I want to see that. Yeah. That's not, is it dead? Would you still do that? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You see? So you did that for Robin well, Hood? I think I would. I think I would. I mean, I'd, I You'd never really... When right. things don't happen, you'd, you'd, you're probably the same. You probably think, well, there's a reason. Move on, I know. And they come back. I do think And they maybe come they back. come back at the right time. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And maybe yeah. it wasn't the right time when these things... Yeah. I mean, if I hadn't... If I had done that... If it had gone on, mm. I'd never written Scott and Bailey. I probably wouldn't have written Last Tango. Because when it comes back, I'd love to see it. I'm just saying that. <laughs> I put in my pitch in all these shows that are yet to exist. It's like, um, so that you did, I read an interview where you sort of said, you sort of said how much, because next you went on to Scott and Bailey, and how, you said how much you loved discovering crime and what a story engine crime is. And you know, mm, indeed we've got mm. Happy Valley since. I wish I could discover that. It's, I, can't, I can't get on with it. I can't do it. Well, I, was, I, I, I prided myself for a certain time not on never having written a cop drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I was lucky that I met Diane Taylor, who was the consultant on Scott and Bailey. And I met her socially. I didn't meet her with an eye to writing a cop no. drama. Yeah. Um, it was just coincidental that Saran wanted to... You know, she invented Scott and Bailey, and then her and Nicola came to me to ask me to do it. And I had coincidentally met Diane Taylor. Right. Just inspiration, yeah. You know, completely coincidental. Well, Scott and Bailey kind and of she... led to Happy Valley, in a, in a way. It's... Yes, it did, very yeah, much yeah, so. Yeah. Um, but it was talking to Diane, who is a detective. She was a detective, she's retired now, but she was a detective inspector with Greater Manchester MIT. She did deal with murders all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just so fascinating talking to her because I thought, I've never seen that on telly. <laughs> we have all these cop dramas and I have never seen what she's talking about on yeah. telly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, so many of our police procedurals are based on American models. Yeah. And our system is just so different. Because what I think you got was that you got how mad and clumsy and stupid crime is. Yeah. Uh, the, my favourite moments are, are like Rachel and Janet ridiculous. rolling their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were constantly shrugging at every stupid thug who yeah. came through the door. And I, I've never... I think there were bits of that in Cracker. I think Jimmy used yes. to do a bit of that yeah. in Cracker. But I think this mm. was a much more... Mm. Kind of much more ordinary to mm. They were still magnificent criminals in Cracker. Yeah. And you just got the plainness of it. And well, well, I remember one of the first... Um, Conversations I had with Diane, we were talking about the Moors murderers. Mm. And I was doing some research about Myra Hindley at the time. And I wanted to ask her what made somebody capable of doing things like that. What had they got that made them capable of doing that? Mm. And she had this fantastic answer was that it isn't what they've got, it's what they haven't got. Uh. 
Right. Um, it's, it's, there's something in their brain that doesn't tell them that you shouldn't really be doing that. Right. I suspect it's a, um, you know, conscience. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> but, absolutely. Uh, but, the, but the point was that people who do things like that predominantly are... Where's your Myra Hindley drama then? People who have That's another one. It got too dark. I, I eventually... Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Put all that research in the bin. I couldn't Not the one it. to make a musical, maybe. I think. Just Possibly not. Someone laughed. Somebody did make a musical about that one. <laughs> it's like because I I loved that it went Scott and with skull. I know uh, skull. <laughs> it's like that's Kate the dead lesbian on her way coming to face you. <laughs> You're not getting away with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, because what there's this roster now we're getting with Sue Jones and Leslie Sharp and Amanda Redmond, Sarah Smart. It's like the women you will work with are oh. just... Are they queuing up at your door? Do they... Do you get Francis de la Tour doing your gardening? Can they, can they just drop a script off with you? you that. <laughs> they're all dying to get in there. But it's like, your men, would, will you, would you write a series with a man as a lead character? Yes. Good. Do it then. Because what I love about your men is that... Is, is seriously, I love David Braithwaite. Yeah. I love. And, and I've just um, the last Tango Christmas special. I've just finished writing. There's a big story with Gillian and Robbie, oh. and Robbie's quite big in it. And oh, brilliant. It, I was very conscious of thinking that I'm writing a really good part, and it's yeah. about a man. It's about a man's story. Your men are brilliant because it's it's com- it's often said you write very strong women, as if I can't even bear that phrase. And then people say you write weak men. Your men are fabulous. It's like if you took Kevin, from that last series of Happy Valley, if you took Kevin Doyle, if you removed the fact he murdered someone, just take up the murder. <laughs> I, to see a detective like that, weak and shagging and lying, but trying his best, I'd love to see that. I, I can't. I don't watch detective shows because I can't bear the detectives. But you. Your men, I would watch that show. I think it'd be brilliant. So a musical with ghosts and, and a some week. men in it. And it's men <laughs> with some men in it. It would be brilliant. Last angle comes along, which is but this is kind of like we have to do so much in an hour. I, I, I could talk forever about Last Tango. Very famously based on a yeah. true experience yeah. of your mum. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. She actually got together with a childhood sweetheart. Yeah. Yeah. Did she charge money for that? She's saying, you know, me money for this. But it's like, it's, that was such a success. It kind of hits a little period of your career where a bit of controversy came along. You, Kate got killed off mm. in, in series three. And, and for the first time, the first time I saw you sort of getting some flack. I know mm. you'd also got a lot of flack for um, Happy Valley for the violence in there. How was that for the first time being attacked? You were quite vociferously attacked. I was, it, was Kate's quite, death. It, was, it, was a, it was a shock. I didn't realise how right. um, attached uh, the audience had become to that relationship and to those two characters. Um, is it death, it's a death in uh, Last Tank on Halifax where uh, Sarah Lancashire's girlfriend is killed. Yeah. It, was t- you know, it was tough to watch. It, it might be one of my least favourite things you ever wrote, partly right. because it was off stage. Yeah. And I know, I kind of think you were trying to make a point that death is random and off stage, mm-hmm. but it kind of had an effect of it being an off stage death. And mm-hmm. I know, I think it's, it's really unfortunate that you, I think you walked slightly into a world where of those lesbian deaths, which have extraordinary numbers, of those, I know Jackie Lawrence has done mm-hmm. uh, compiled statistics of, being, of lesbian characters being killed off. What mm-hmm. people miss is that Caroline is alive at the heart of the drama and, and she's a lesbian mm-hmm. as well, but it's tough, isn't it, when you get that flack? I found it hard and um, I regretted it. I think I did, did make you? a mistake. Did you? I wish I'd found a better story. Do you know what I wish? But it was, you know, it was a good story. It was a good story. 
and obviously been criticised by the same people for saying this, but you know no. the main story, the main characters. It was a fantastic story for Caroline and Celia. Yeah, yes. And um, do you know I could have told you you were going to have that flack. Nicola told, told me you were doing yeah. that story, and I went. I literally meant, What was she had? I, I know. Well, you don't, it's not, you don't feel, you know, you're in the office like chatting, going, what's happening in Last Tango next year? Oh, oh Kate's going to get killed. And I literally, because I know the gays quite well, I literally went, oh my God, that's going to be trouble. I did. And I'm kicking myself for, yeah. would you have listened to me though if I said you're going to get in trouble with that? It's... Yeah, because I was like on the cusp of thinking, I'm oh, yeah. not sure this is the right thing to do. And yeah, yeah, other yeah. people were, you know, it was a good story. It was yeah. good drama. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I cried my eyes out at the same time. It was a brilliant oh. funeral and all that. It's hard. But you when do worry afterwards that you've been a bit... You could have worked harder. You would... You know, it, it was a lazy choice. Uh, you know, all the, all, all the criticisms... Yeah. No, um, those are the criticisms. Oh, right. So then you think, was oh, it? Was no, I no, being no. lazy? Was no, I, no, no, no. Um, I think it was kind of unfortunate. That's um, all. unfortunate. I still loved it. It's still a great drama mm. out of it. We're moving on now. This, this, this juggernaut is heading towards us. And literally, Sally, in my life, my life is strung together of great mm. dramas. And this started with Rock Follies and Pennies from Heaven and I, Claudius, and then Cracker and Prime Suspect. And then, and then the Braithwaite, and then there was Happy Valley. I literally, I'm glad to be alive during the transmission of Happy Valley. I <laughs> love it that much. You would not have told me from the television. I, I, everyone is sitting there thinking, and it's my duty to ask what news on Series 3. Um, is it happy, is happy Valley? Yes. Um, oh, no, yeah. It's, it, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it will happen. Right. Um, but it's good, it'll be a little while. Good. Before take your time. We get is ready. it cooking? Do you, is it? Yeah, I've got some good ideas. Wow. So, oh. Can I just say I feel exactly the same way about Queer as Folk? That was for me. That was one of the most. Oh. Let's talk about me. Extraordinary. Come on. Um, oh, thank you. They were good days. TV weren't they? shows. Oh, ever. happy days. It was just so vibrant and. It was, like, it was like Rock Follies. Like, I felt that same feeling that I felt as a 13-year-old watching Rock Follies. It was like this tangible excitement. Oh, brilliant. That's the best compliment in the world. Thank you. It all comes out of that Granada yeah. furnace, doesn't it? Of all of us, like I say, Tony Wood, finding all of us writers and Dan McFerry, all those people in there. In Happy Valley, you started directing, which you'd always wanted to do. Mm. And you'd never had the confidence to do, was it? That, why did you... I well, haven't had the confidence to do it. I'd love to do it. And oh, you should. I know, it's the thought of turning up in the morning and there were 60 sweaty arse drinkers asking you what to do, because I get enough of that in my social life. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't prepare that one at all. <laughs> but seriously, actually, turning up and facing all those people, 9am, off you go. Christ, I find that terrifying. How are, you love it, though, don't you? I do love it. Um, they don't, they're not waiting for you to tell what to do. They're just getting on with it. I know. I mean, that's what struck me. Has one of the big, many things that struck me is that when you're in there, everybody knows what they're doing. Yeah. And um, that's nice. uh, it's, it's such a big team effort, and it's, it's, it's delightful. It's really exciting. You love it, don't you? You're yeah, always, like always nothing else. Do it. I love it more than writing. Do you? And, it's, wow. and, and I love writing. <laughs> wow, you love it more than writing? I think so. I think that's it's, it's, it's harder. It's, it's not harder. It's hard in a different way. Let's timing this badly. Next, finally, um, it, you've done the. What, what you've got a Bronte, a drama about the Brontes coming up to walk invisible. Mm. What is it? Is it? Is it their lives? Is it a day in the life? Um, is it? Well, I was asked to write a biopic about the Brontes because it's Charlotte Bronte's bicentenary the, the, of her birth this year. Right. And um, so, to, I think about five years ago, the BBC asked me to do this, and it's I didn't get around to doing it because. <laughs> Lots of other stuff, but so finally did before we ran out of time for 2016. So the, uh, it was, they asked for a biopic. So I've looked at the last three years uh, when they were all still alive, 
when they, for all, they'd all been away doing different things, but they were all back at home in 1845 oh, for yeah. l- various dysfunctional reasons. I mean, they were yeah. like the archetypal dysfunctional family oh, when yeah. he was the Brontes. <laughs> um, so it's looking at that, that last three years. So it's, it's about their whole lives, but it's concentrating in that, those last three years. Let's have a extraordinarily uh, yeah. eventful. I didn't have to invent anything, really. really. In terms of the structure, it, it was all there. Yeah, it was brilliant. <laughs> Emily, Emily Bronte. <laughs> Big stroppy woman. So that's come up at Christmas. Listen, I have loved sitting here and doing this, and we oh, could talk for 50 you. more hours. We should do Q&As from the floor. Um, so are you going to turn the lights up? And um, has anyone got a question for Dame Sally Wainwright? Anybody out there? You were talking a lot about uh, picking up things from being in uh, writers' rooms at, at soaps and watching other writers, talking to other writers, producers. I was just wondering if you can even say, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Well, um, the best, one of the best pieces of advice is the one I mentioned that Tony Wood gave me about don't ever write the first episode of a new series, write the third episode, because you'll hit the ground running. You'll come in into where the um, action is. You'll come into where the story is. Another thing I remember Paul Abbott once telling me that really struck me when we were writing Children's Ward, um, he rang me up and he said he was very pleased with the script and he says it's obvious that you've not written the first thing that's coming to your head or the second thing or the third thing. He says you've written the seventh thing that's coming to your head, which is true. You know, you, you do, I think that's the, a really good piece of advice is you have to think really hard about the perfect way of saying something. I remember Paul Abbott and Children's Ward saying psychology is simple. Actually, they're jealous or they're angry. I've always remember that, right in the yeah. script. It's like psychology is simple. Any more questions? Anybody? Hello. Um, as a writer, I would really like to um, teach myself a bit more about directing. What advice would you give someone who's wanting to be self-taught rather than you know, going off to do an MA in directing at 24? I think you've just got to do it. You've just got to get on with it. You've got to get yourself into a situation where you can just start making mistakes. I mean, what I did uh, when I was um, at university was start directing plays there. Uh, you know, I would find people anywhere who were interested in drama and direct them. Uh, you know, just find opportunities for yourself. You've just got to do it. I think the only way to learn to direct is to actually do it. It's, one, it's like writing. Nobody can really teach it you. You've just got to do it. Because you had a fight to be on set more. Um, when you were starting on like the Braithwaite's and stuff like that, because that's how you learned to do it, was being think, on set. And I think the culture was different then. I think there was a culture yeah. then of the writer being excluded or... Um, were you thrown off set with the Braithwaite's? Thrown it? off the set? Weren't you? Or not thrown off Oh, right. No, I don't think I was. I'll remind you about that later off stage. I may have <laughs> blanked it out. Did was I? I'll, literally, I'll tell you that later. But <laughs> so, you have forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but I think the problem there is like, how, how do you get to be on set? How do you get to do that? It's, it's... Um, well, I think, I think the culture's changed, hasn't it? I think writers are more... Well, and like you, I work with execs like Nicola who actively yeah. encourage the writer to be we much more involved. We haven't mentioned Nicola Schimper, yeah. It's, it's um, thanks uh, to But I think then there was more of a culture of the writers unjet their drama and they can fuck off now and we'll have a, have a laugh producing Would it. Would you ever direct someone else's script? Well, I've done. I've directed plays, stage plays. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I think with telly. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I was. If it was, but it, I'd be very picky about about it. So my gay duck. <laughs> yeah, could I'll be do that. <laughs> Brilliant, Adam. Does that help? Hooray! Thank you. There's a question over there as well. We talked very interestingly about your past and some of your kind of things you're working on at the moment. But 
taking a kind of longer term view, what do you, what do you think about the, the future of television? Will, will, will writers like you and young writers coming up have the same creative freedoms? Are you optimistic? about the future of television in this, in this country and, and, say, globally as well? I do, I do wor- worry that there aren't as so many opportunities as we had, like when we were at Granada. I think we were in a very privileged place that I've never quite experienced before. I, do, I don't know. Do you, is no. there anything like that around? No. It's, uh, do you know what? Um, someone said to me recently, actually, that they would be very cheeky. They sort of said, ITV has actually trained a lot of Britain's writers. It's you, it's me, it's Paul Abbott, it's Kay. It's even Mike Bartlett had his first thing on ITV. <laughs> they said that ITV trains them and then the BBC steals them. Very interesting. That person was Kevin Ligo. <laughs> said that. But it's actually, it's kind of got a point to it. It's like, it's... I think there's always opportunities though, aren't there? I don't know. It's hard, um... isn't it? Yeah. Do you... Do you help, you know, I was enormously mentored by Paul Abbott and mm. you were enormously mentored by Kay. We were very lucky they kind of mm. seized upon us. Do you try and pay that back? Do you...? I do whatever I can. People yeah. do ask me to mentor that. I've done had a couple of students who were doing, like, MAs at Mont- De Montford. Yeah. But I think that's very different to what it was like with, like, Paul and Kay because we were there doing the job. Yes. We met each other in meetings. It yes. was an organic process. And they had programmes they could actually they get up onto, yeah. were kind to us because they were there and they, they responded to what we were doing and, yeah. and it was... Whereas now people on writing courses, I find that hard that you... You know, you meet them once every six months in a yeah. coffee shop and it's, <laughs> it, it, it's hard to... Impart, well, you, you know, you, you do what you can, but it doesn't feel... I, I, I don't feel like I've ever been able to do t- for someone else what Kay did for me. No. It's, hard, it's just it? not arisen that it's been a, yes. uh, you know, part of an organic process. I agree, I agree. But I wish I could, I'd love to. Yeah. You will, of course you will. Anyone else with the questions one there? I'm just wondering, you were saying about the lack of opportunity though, what do you think of the American writer room system? What do you think about that as like a training ground almost to help people get experience writing first drafts mm. at least? I don't really know how it works. I've never, I've never been party to the American... Um, it sounds great. I don't know that we could ever do it in this country. Though. I don't know that we could afford to do things like that. Well, it's funny, because we're talking about the American writer room system. For 60 years, the number one programme in British television has been Coronation Street, which is run by a team of writers. Yeah. It just doesn't get included in the conversation. So actually, it does mm. exist in this country. And mm. It might not be the type of drama you like or you want, but a lot of people want it. So it does, it does exist, and it exists very successfully. That's how you mm. started. Mm. That's mm. where you began. So yeah. it does work. I promised a question to that person at the back there. What's your favourite sitcom and what type of sitcoms do you like? My favourite sitcom is, I loved, oh, I loved Pulling, I thought that was fantastic. I like Nurse Jackie probably, is that a sitcom? I, I think it's funny. Um, I think I would say Nurse Jackie is probably, is it a sitcom Nurse Jackie? Go on, whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Your session. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that, yeah, yeah. Thanks. It's, I mean, it's, it's just, it's a... And it's very dark. I think that's why I like it. It feels, it's to me on that level, that it can be, it's very dark and very funny. Brilliant show. Couple more questions. There was the man over there, and then we'll do that person there, and then we'll have to end it, I think. Location, um, you, you're very good at capturing a certain part of, of Britain. Hmm. Have you ever written things that uh, are located somewhere else than the, than the north? Uh, yeah. yeah uh, uh, well, would, would you... Would you do you think you could handle writing about an international location or something like that as easily? Yeah, I think <laughs> location isn't really the issue, but I do think it's important. I think wherever you choose to set something, if you can make it part of the 
fabric of the show. So it's, it's not, I hate like generic, you know, America or generic south, the south of England. I, I think if you can make it very specifically rooted in a very particular part of the world, it, it adds to the realism, it adds to the authenticity. But I, yeah, I hope one could write thing, anything, so, uh, something like that anyway. And then there was a question over there. Um, hi, um, you've talked a lot about kind of shuttling between genres and territories, like you went from kind of, um, you know, uh, situational dramas to then you were avoiding cop dramas and then you went into that. Is there a territory that you're scared of but you think you, you haven't depicted yet that you want to throw yourself into? Well, the, this musical thing sounds quite exciting. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm quite scared of that, but yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll do that next. <laughs> Brilliant. Absolutely. I can't wait for that show. Listen, we have to wrap up now. I'd like to say thank you to Sally for being so magnificent. To end it, I asked Nicola Schindler, who we oh. barely mentioned, who's a, a huge part of our lives as a producer, I said, what's the best thing about working with Sally Wainwright? And she said, to be any help to her, you've got to be at the top of your game with her. She makes me work better and harder because she is the best. I then asked Nicola Schindler, what's the worst thing about working with Sally? <laughs> she said... To be in help, you've got to be at the top of the game with her. She makes work work harder because she's literally said, it's the best, the, and she adores you. And everyone adores your work. I literally think you're the finest writer in the land. Thank you for doing Thank this. You. Thank, Thank you. you Thank you very much. Well, that's it from this bonus edition of the programme. Thanks again to the TV Festival for sharing this session with the Media Podcast. If you're wondering where to go next, uh, may we again recommend Media Masters. This week with Matthew Stadlin. That's at mediamasters.fm. I'm Ollie Mann. The producer is Matt Hill. And the Media Podcast is a PPM production. Until next time. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.